This is Radio Parallax, a slightly different perspective from a slightly different view, with topics that include matters in science, technology, history, politics, current events, and whatever we damn well please. And now the host of Radio Parallax, Douglas Everett. Apologies as we start today's program for the fact that last week we were unable to produce an original program owing to illness. Yes, disease strikes even Miss Merlin and I on occasion. But we vow to make it up to you, dear listener. Uh, during the Christmas holidays, yours truly had a chance to access many of our archival files that have been stashed away over the decades, and it is now decades. And there's a lot of stuff there, a lot of good stuff there that just didn't quite make it in the show, or, or maybe did make it in the show, but it was 20 years ago. Were you listening then? We hope so, but chances are you weren't. Thus, we predict that in the next uh, few weeks, we'll probably stick an extra show or two in. In the next couple months, we, we definitely will. So I'm sure, you're, I'm sure you're pleased to hear that. Now, it turned out that uh, owing to the fact there was a, a bit of a technical problem at, uh, at KDVS, listeners in the greater Davis slash Sacramento area uh, got to hear a show that did not air the week before. So I guess like, if I hadn't said anything, you wouldn't have known there was an original show missing. Uh, actually, you would. Guy did provide a full disclosure on that matter. He outed us? Well, yeah. Now, because this is the first show of 2023, it's traditional to look back over the year that just passed, 2022, and remark upon it. One way we planned to do that was to do the Dave Barry annual year of review, but I can't put my hands on it right now. I printed it up and lost it temporarily. When I find it, well, we'll air it. I have to say, it wasn't quite up to his usual standard. When you're Dave Barry, that standard is set pretty high, so I'm sure you'll still get a few yucks out of it. And since we're starting out in a yuck-seeking mode, I think I might do well to, to, to snag a book I picked up recently. It's nice to know that in, in my hometown, a new bookstore has opened up, so I wanted to make a point to go over there and become a customer. I did have to laugh at the advertisement for the new bookstore that was touting the fact that it actually had in-store shopping. Now, there's a concept for you. You can actually shop in the store. You can, like, pick up the book, hold it, maybe read it. Man, it's exciting stuff. Anyway, the book that I picked up was Andy Borowitz's Profiles in Ignorance. Mr. Borowitz started his introduction as follows. Imagine a hypothetical job applicant. He can't spell the simplest words, such as heal, H-E-A-L, and tap, T-A-P. Confused by geography... He thinks there's an African country called Nambia. As for American history, he's under the impression that Andrew Jackson, who died in 1845, was angry about the Civil War, and that Frederick Douglass, who died in 1895, is still alive. Given the alarming state of his knowledge, you might wonder what job he could get. Unfortunately, he's not hypothetical, and the job he got in 2016 was President of the United States. Anyway, as part of reviewing for what we're going to talk about on today's program, I, I went through a lot of stuff that, you know, was amassed in the last year, and I thought I would revisit some of the favorite uh, little quotes and quips that we um, put before you. I don't think we can do better than to start with this from David Attenborough. Anyone who believes in indefinite growth on a physically finite planet is either mad or an economist. 
And we can go back 2,000 years in parallel fashion for this quote from Marcus Aurelius. The opinion of 10,000 men is of no value if none of them know anything about the subject. Here's a couple jokes we liked. One of them has a picture of Vladimir Putin with the caption, Putin's realizing that taking over Ukraine may not be as easy as taking over the Republican Party. And I really like this one. My wife called me at work and asked, Do you ever get a shooting pain across your body like somebody's got a voodoo doll of you and they're stabbing it? Sounded concerned. I replied, No. She responded, How about now? Yeah, that one really amused our Los Angeles correspondent, Donald Rose, who wanted to contribute to today's program, but alas, probably won't be able to do so. He threw out three jokes from Emo Phillips. In this case, I think they were jokes chosen by Penn Gillette as his favorites among the uh, repertoire of Emo Phillips, to which I asked, why didn't he use the best one? Don said, what was that? I said, well, in my opinion, his best joke was, a computer beat me at chess, but it was no match for me in kickboxing. Circling back to Trump, here was a meme I, I enjoyed. It said, the President of the United States is fighting the release of his DNA in a rape case. Evidence that would exonerate him if innocent. Let that sink in. And this one came not from last year, but the year before. But it was another meme that said, Congress has just approved free coronavirus testing without having to leave your home. All you need to do is send a fresh stool sample to the following address. 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue, Northwest Washington, D.C., 20500. And we couldn't resist this one. When you're dead, you don't know you're dead. All of the pain is felt by others. The same thing happens when you're stupid. And we'll close out with this meme. It's been a bit of a strange day. First, I found a hat full of money. Then I was chased by an angry man with a guitar. And of course, we found a bunch of quotes that uh, we, we favored in the past couple of years, but I think I'm going to save that for later in the program and instead do some follow-up. A couple of weeks ago, we, we lamented the fact that we were unable to obtain any follow-up over the news story that some canoe voyagers had left Easter Island, heading for another island out in the Pacific, and we're going to paddle for like three days and three nights to get to a nearby uninhabited island called Hokey Mai. After that story made a big splash, we couldn't find anything about it. But thanks to a dedicated, faithful listener, Elise. Yay. We're happy to report that according to Lindsay Downer in the Honolulu Star Advertiser, the Hokey Mai voyaging crew made land on Motu Motiro Hiva after a three-day journey from Rapa Nui, also known as Easter Island, that spanned about 300 miles. Among them was Oahu's Landon Opuni, the only native Hawaiian among the crew of Chileans and Rapa Nuians. Noted the star advertiser, despite the language barrier between himself and the rest of the crew, their shared passion for paddling united them. Anyway, I'm, I'm glad they made it. It certainly was a, a testament to the prowess of the ancient Polynesians who managed to find pretty much every speck of land in the South Pacific. In fact, if you look at a map or globe of the Pacific Ocean and realize that there's this giant triangle with one corner being New Zealand, the top corner being Hawaii and the lower right corner being Easter Island. Well, it's, it's just damned impressive. That's all I got to say. 
I don't know many details about how it is they accomplish some of these amazing feats, but I, I know that the, the art of navigating between islands has not completely disappeared among some in, I think it's Micronesia and perhaps Polynesia as well. I gather they can tell where there where islands are, even if they're a long way away by how that um, alters the swells in the ocean. I think James Minchner wrote an essay about this long ago, and I think I should dig that out if I can find it. Anyway, let's take a look back at the year 2022. The pollsters were, of course, busy, as they always are, trying to chart the opinions of the public. There's some surprising findings there. Civilrights.org noted that 54% of Americans believe we're on a path to a full-blown civil war. Ow. According to aggregate polls at 538, President Biden has a 51% disapproval for the job that he's doing. Chris Mishmerlin does like to point out, have you noticed the fact that now that the election has passed that gas prices have gone back down? Well, we have. According to Monmouth University, and I'm not sure we can trust this, but according to Monmouth, 29% of Americans think voter fraud put Biden in the Oval Office. That seems a little high. Apparently 40%, according to YouGov, believe that real power lies in a secret group of people who control events. A lot of people would scoff at that being a, quote, conspiracy theory, unquote. But this very morning, I got a call from an old friend that was asking about, like, skull and bones. He said, well, uh, they seem to be inordinately powerful. And I do recall back in 2004 on this program, we noted that the American public had a choice between skull and bonesman George W. Bush and skull and bonesman John Kerry. Think those guys carry a little extra weight uh, ahead of, like, say, the local PTA? It's noted that we apparently do still read, although only 20% of Americans have read more than 10 books in the past year, down from 35% in 2016. That's according to Gallup. This would be a, a good spot to insert one of my favorite quotes from Mark Twain, which was that a man who doesn't read good books has no advantage over the man who can't read them. Just stumbled upon the Ken Burns documentary on Mark Twain and not through it yet, but enjoying the hell out of it so far. He was and remains a remarkable humorist. He had a marvelous way of looking at things and a marvelous way of expressing his thoughts, such as, a man who carries a cat by the tail learns something he can learn in no other way. Anyway, among the things that we're afraid of, the pollsters, in this case Zogby, note that 88% of us fear a nuclear conflict with Russia. 51% of it apparently fret over biological warfare. And in case you're keeping score, 30% of us are afraid of snakes, 24% of spiders, and 11% of dentists. What strikes me about this polling is that they didn't seem to ask anybody if they were concerned about global warming or how about the loss of our democracy. I don't know, you'd think somebody would have asked. Now, The Week magazine, which we rely upon... uh, on a regular basis, and we'll do so again today. Always has a summary at the end of the year, a quiz, looking back. So I put it to you. Do you remember which well-known political figure called Russian President Vladimir Putin a savvy leader who made a genius move by invading eastern Ukraine? Well, if you said Donald Trump, go to the head of the class. And we would ask you to name the Stop the Steal activist who texted then-White House Chief of Staff Mark Meadows to say Biden and the left are attempting the greatest heist in our history. Release the Kraken and save us. And yeah, that was Ginny Thomas, the wife 
of Supreme Court Justice Clarence Thomas. I do want to note that Ms. McMillan is giving her partial credit for the use of the phrase, release the Kraken. And I have to agree. Oath Keepers founder Stuart Rhodes, who was convicted of seditious conspiracy for his role in organizing the January 6th insurrection, you may be wondering, from which well-known institution did he obtain an advanced degree before he became a right-wing radical? In this case, you have to look no further than Yale Law School. No, Mr. Whelan, he was not tapped for the skull and bones at Yale. And perhaps you're wondering, which state in the Union... Well, at least in this case, which Republican Party of which state in the union declared last June that Joe Biden was merely the acting president and was not legitimately elected in 2020? Mr. Will, why don't you have a musical answer to that one? our final query, we're going to do it Jeopardy style, give you the answer first and then come up with the question. The answer is Amazon. And the question is, which tech giant became the first company to lose $1 trillion in market value, falling to $879 billion from a peak of $1.88 trillion in July of 2021? I guess, Mr. Melinda, your Amazon Prime membership was not enough. And there was quite a to-do. Last year, in, uh, over um, arguments in various states and jurisdictions across the country about what was available in libraries for children to read. And we have to say we are not in favor of banning books, that's for sure. But I do want to note in fairness that I think it was the liberals that started this one. Well, actually, that may be unfair, but I do remember the outcry from a lot of uh, sources on the left about how things like Huckleberry Finn needed to get pulled from our public libraries because they were racist. All I can say about that, it was a pretty woke 20th century viewpoint on a book that was extraordinary for its portrayal of a black man in a sympathetic light back in 1882. Anyway, let's jump out of that and into the good, the bad, and the ugly. According to The Week magazine, it was a good week, some week last year, for having space with a reported surge in the number of U.S. married couples who live apart so as to not get on each other's nerves. Apparently, about 4 million married Americans currently live separately from their spouses. That's according to the U.S. Census Bureau. That's a 25% increase from the year 2000. I kind of think there may be some merit to that idea if you are getting on each other's nerves. And it was definitely a bad week. In this case, at least for some week in the middle of 2021, when it was obvious that the excess death rates for Republicans rose to nearly double the level of Democrats. This was after COVID vaccines were widely available. And this is being reported by the National Bureau of Economic Research in a new study. This study attributes the death gap, which widened even further 
in the winter of 2021 to the disparity in vaccine uptake. And darn it, I can't put my finger on the absolute number uh, that is estimated uh, for excess deaths among Republicans versus Democrats, but I know it's somewhere in the range of a couple of hundred thousand. And I guess I should have some sympathy for these poor people who are deluded by politics, but I don't. I'd like to quote the legendary journalist I.F. Stone, who once said, All governments lie, but disaster lies in wait for countries whose officials smoke the same hashish they give out. And I'd say in this case, yeah, the, the mega crowd was smoking some bad hashish. And it was an ugly week recently for Stanford University, or at least Stanford University's reputation, with the news that its IT department has advised students not to call themselves, quote, Americans, unquote. This comes from new guidelines designed to curb, quote, harmful language, unquote, online. Instead, the department recommends, quote, U.S. citizens, unquote. The guidelines also discourage asking for someone's preferred pronouns, since that phrase suggests that a non-binary gender identity is a choice and a preference. Hmm. So if it's not a choice or a preference, it's, it's actual biology? You something, Mr. McMillan? I think I do. Anyway, let's, let's get out of the world of humans for a minute and instead enter the world of animals. We're happy to report that studies in California show that the beaver is making a comeback. It was almost extinct in California by the early 1800s, thanks to trappers. But in recent years, their numbers have increased substantially. It's noted that conflicts can arise when the happy dam builders take up residence in streams with adjacent human structures. Until very recently, these nuisance animals could not be relocated, only eliminated. With a better understanding of their historic range and importance for wetlands, funds have now been allotted for the state of California to study new methods of coexisting with our furry friends. This, uh, this causes me to, to, to recall with tremendous fondness... Uh, some warm nights in Sacramento, years back, where yours truly would take some occasional night swims out in William Pond Park, and there were beaver in that pond. And it was very, very cool to be out there coexisting with them as they were gnawing away on aquatic vegetation. One day I was down there and decided to swim up inside one of the beaver lodges that was in the pond. After all, I, I had seen this done in I think, a couple of Disney movies as a child. But when I surfaced up inside the structure and saw a very surprised mama beaver looking at me, I realized that I'd probably erred in judgment. Fortunately, those teeth, which are so effective at taking down saplings, were not put to use on yours truly. And I was able to back my way out safely. Now, for me, one of the most surprising animal stories of the past year is the fact that in New Zealand, they evidently have problems now with axolotls. Now, in case you're unaware, the axolotl is a Mexican amphibian with feathery gills. They are evidently prized for their cute, almost smiling appearance, and videos or memes featuring them tend to be popular. TikTok has more than 2.6 billion views of axolotls. And I guess folks, including some of the good people down in Kiwi land, have decided that they, you know, should put some axolotls together and see if they could breed them. And apparently it's pretty easy to do. 
As a consequence of establishing these breeding pairs of amphibians, their folks down there in New Zealand have thousands of eggs and then thousands of hatchlings. New Zealand amphibian rescuer Amelia Seals said she was recently given 600 axolotls in a single week. Ironically, in their native Mexico, axolotls are endangered, but are, of course, widely bred in captivity, as we've just seen. And saving the best for last, we have this. A British monkey sanctuary hired a Marvin Gaye impersonator to croon love songs to endangered Barbary macaques in hopes it might put them in the mood to mate. Apparently, Matt Lovat of the Trentham Monkey Forest said, We thought it would be a creative way to encourage our females to show a little affection. And in case you're wondering, the gay impersonator Dave Largy evidently serenaded the primates with Let's Get It On and Sexual Healing. I think what the problem is they shouldn't have used Marvin Gaye. They, they should have gone with Barry White. I know how to love you. I know how to do it to you. I know how to make you feel like you want to feel. But I can't lose with what I use. One bit of good news I think we can report is that it finally, finally seems to be dawning on the news media that the misnamed so-called opioid crisis, which has been to no small degree laid at the feet of doctors prescribing pain relief pills, is really an epidemic of illegal drug use, especially fentanyl, which is being manufactured uh, in quantity in China and shipped to the U.S., and I think also being manufactured in quantity in Mexico. Methamphetamine certainly is. But regardless of where it's made, fentanyl is being illegally smuggled in the United States and used in staggering amounts. We would call 28,700 pounds of fentanyl a staggering number, particularly since it represents a 594% increase from one year previous. Of course, the article from the Bay Area News Group that I'm quoting in this instance notes that it was seizures of the deadly opioids in California that increased nearly sixfold by 2022. It has to be understood that the majority of the drugs are getting in and not being seized. Now, the problem here, or part of the problem here, is the fact that this synthetic opioid fentanyl and fentanyl-like compounds where they tweak the molecule a little bit can be 50 times more potent than heroin. And they're increasingly lacing a variety of illicit substances like counterfeit painkillers and stimulants, which our teenage population can buy easily online. A lot of people who have overdosed on fentanyl thought they were consuming less dangerous drugs. My understanding is that fentanyl is now the major cause of death in the 18 to 49 year demographic in the United States. And apparently one fifth of the deaths among Californians aged 15 to 24 were directly attributable to fentanyl in 2021. Is the number gonna turn out to be six times higher in 2022? Well, probably. That total in 2021 was six times the number that it killed a mere three years earlier. And no, I don't have an answer to this, but um, I think it should be pretty clear at this point our war on drugs isn't panning out very well. 
and by falsely blaming physicians for this opioid crisis, so-called, we've restricted the use of a lot of very useful and needed pain medications to, to people that, you know, are in desperate straits. It's very disturbing. Anyway, about this point, we probably need to develop a little more positive attitude. In fact, let's start with a quote about that from author Herm Albright. He once said, A positive attitude may not solve all your problems, but it will annoy enough people to make it worth the effort. And since we've strayed into quotes, let's do a few more. Humorist Franklin P. Jones once noted that honest criticism is hard to take, particularly from a relative, a friend, an acquaintance, or a stranger. A recent quote we would cite it was from Jean-Luc Godard. Godard was, of course, one of the purveyors of the new wave cinema coming out of France that challenged Hollywood, which by the late 50s had grown pretty stodgy. Anyway, Luke Goddard once said, all you need to make a movie is a girl and a gun. Well, we're not sure that's true, but I, I gather it was probably what you needed to make Breathless. Well, he didn't say a good movie. Well, Breathless is pretty good. A quote we've been hanging on to since the very earliest days of doing this show comes from the immortal poet Robert Frost, who once said, a liberal is a man too broad-minded to take his own side in a quarrel which I cannot resist bookending with the quote from Woodrow Wilson, which is that a conservative is a man who sits and thinks. Mostly sits. Anyway, there's some archival items from the good and the bad and the ugly that I think that we'll end this segment with. And I'm not sure on the dates of any of these exactly, but they all took place in 2022. Item number one, a Missouri pastor berated his cheap congregation for not buying him an expensive watch and taking care of God's shepherd. Pastor Carlton Funderburk of Kansas City complained that he'd asked a year ago for a Movado watch, which ranges up to $3,200, and still hasn't received it. I'm not worth your red lobster money, he asked churchgoers, calling them poor, broke, busted, and disgusted. After a video of this tirade spread online, Funderburg apologized and said it does not reflect my heart. You know, really surprised he didn't use Flip Wilson's Geraldine's excuse for his behavior, which was, the devil made me do it. And while we don't necessarily approve of this behavior, we had to get a chuckle over the pair of Australian tourists who surfed Venice's iconic Grand Canal on motorized surfboards. They drew $1,500 fines and a tongue lashing from Mayor Luigi Bugnardo, who said, The thrill seekers are two overbearing imbeciles who are making a mockery of the city. And apparently the young men were caught after videos emerged of the pair shooting under arch bridges and dodging water buses on the tourist throng waterway, Venice's main thoroughfare. We say, crikey, Mayor Luigi Bernardo, lighten up. And here's an item from a couple years back. Italian artist Maurizio Catalan made a splash in 2019 when he duct-taped a banana to a wall as part of Miami Gallery Exhibit. He then sold three versions of the work for $390,000. Wouldn't you know it, after doing so, he was sued by California artist Joe Morford, who says Catalan stole his idea. I did this in 2000, he wrote. Now, the last we heard, a federal judge was allowing the suit to go forward even though, you know, we're, we're not legal scholars, but we do note 
that Morfer used a plastic banana, whereas Maurizio Catalan used a real banana. I guess we're going to have to leave it to legal scholars to, to work that one out. And what a marvelous use of our court system's time. Let's take a short break. You listen to Radio Parallax. I'm Douglas Everett. I'm Chiquita Banana, and I've come to say Bananas have to ripen in a certain way And when they're flecked with brown and have a golden hue Bananas taste the best and are the best for you You can put them in a salad No, not yet, my dear That greenish way you're looking means that you are ripe for cooking How about me? No, no, when you are fully ripe, my dear Those little flecks of brown appear Me? You're most digestible, my friend. Delicious, too, from end to end. 